0: So Alpha is one of um, <clears throat> the tools that we'll be using as we continue this journey together of thinking through across the street, across the border. For those of you who, are, um, missed, who uh, missed last week, you're probably going, what in the world is going on? Everything's different. Um, just sit back and enjoy. Uh, our whole point for this uh, next couple of weeks is just to come together as a family, have a uh, kind of what Alpha does, just have this conversation, this time together. Uh, think of it like having a conversation on your back porch or around a campfire. It's just time where we can dig in a little bit. <clears throat> Last week we heard from Norm, who started our conversation about Jesus heading out, uh, leaving all the cool, popular stuff and going across the water for one dude. Of course, that one guy then became Ten Cities, um, But he modeled moving, being on journey, going across the street and across the border. So we're going to continue that this morning. We're going to continue to dig into what does it look like as a people who knows Jesus to go after a people who doesn't. And so, like usual when I teach, um, I'm not a three point sermon dude. I don't. I don't sit here and go, okay, what point's going to end up on the the screen? It's funny, as I was doing this, you're going to get points on the screen, and I just went through and highlighted, oh, this one looks good, this one looks good. I don't even know how many there are. John will have to count them as we go. But it's just a time to sit down and and walk through Scripture, have a conversation about Scripture. We heard uh, Bruce say it a little bit, that, you know, one of the things that that we need to be about uh, are asking these good questions. All of us ask questions, At some point in our faith, we have asked a question. These are big questions. And and as followers of Jesus, we we need to be allowing space for those around us to ask these questions. Are we doing that? Are we allowing space to ask these big questions? I think every great story starts with a good question What's at the back of the wardrobe? Who shot Jr.? If you're like me, you're wondering if Barb will come back from the upside down. There's a few Stranger Things folks. There's a few in here who watch Stranger Things. And another, where's Waldo? All good books start with a good question, right? I think that that's where we're at. I think that's who we are as a people. We, We love these great questions. We love these great stories. They lead to these incredible endings, um, And I think that we should be a people that are allowing that space to take place. So that's one of the first questions. Are we allowing time, space for those around us to ask these questions? My wife and I are are currently uh, working on our neighbor. He doesn't know it, but we are. Um, We haven't had one Jesus conversation, but we've had tons of Jesus moments. One of them was my, a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife was out. We, we kind of share a fence line, our dogs get into trouble together. Uh, now there's no chance of ugly puppies. Uh, my poor dog is sitting at home. Won't wear the cone of shame, but he is under the weather. Um, <clears throat> uh, but we've, we've, we've lived life now for two years, sharing this fence line. Having conversations, serving each other. This is a great dude. He's young, he's just loves people and he came up to my wife he goes hey does Sean does Sean do weddings he's engaged and Charlene's like yes so one of the gears is turning what he doesn't know is I I only do weddings of those who know Jesus and uh, so over this next year I'm gonna bump up that work I'm gonna continue to show Jesus and hoping that those conversations those times across the fence stacking wood digging holes moving things around our yard, we're going to get into these Jesus conversations and these places where he feels it's a safe space to ask questions. Are you doing that? Are you providing those places to ask those questions? In today's message, there's a big question. And we're going to use this question in illustration, but I think it's at the heart of a lot of questions we ask. And what we're going to hear today is we're going to hear this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the questions asked in our story, but it's at the heart of a lot of questions. But for for first century Jews, they had a method to answer this question. So we're going to do it. You're going to play along. So I'm going to have everybody stand up. If you can't stand, that's totally fine, but... The Jews had a way of, of figuring out if you were okay to make it into the kingdom of God. Now, for them, it was pretty extensive. Over 600 laws that had to be kept. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh my gosh, I didn't even keep the speed limit law on the way here. <clears throat> I'm going to simplify it for you. We're just going to do 10. And you guys know where we're going. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Last week, uh, Norm touched on this. Uh, he and I have these conversations all the time. My young adults and I have this conversation when I lead studies with them. It's this idea of the felt board. A lot of you grew up in Sunday school. I did not. I did not grow up in Sunday school, so uh, I'm not tainted by the felt board. I, I know some of you are going, Sean, it was a good thing. I get it. We have to tell these stories. David and Goliath on the felt board. You use the same dude. It's Joseph in, in another story, but it's Goliath here, and you find a kid. That's David. But we've learned these stories. They are important stories. So I'm not downplaying them all. They are. We all have, every one of us who did a nursery probably put Noah somewhere in the room. Okay? We have these felt board stories. So I'm going to ask you, though, to step away from the felt board. Put yourself kind of at face value here. I'm I'm basically saying don't be a Sunday school kid just for a second. I'm going to pose some questions to you. And some of you are going to go, oh, I know a better answer to that. And when I was in young life dealing with non-Christian kids and I had a Sunday school kid in there, I was constantly shushing them. Going, let the other kids answer. Stop, yes, I know. It was that many stones. It was a sling. They did this. I get it. Let the other kids answer. So if you know the Sunday school answer to some of these questions, stay standing. Okay? Take these questions at face value because your non-Christian friends will. So, If it applies to you, if you have broken this rule, sit down. You shall have, some of you go, what's Sean gonna ask? (laughs) You'll be okay. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, See, Sunday school kids, uh, see, Sunday school kids, some of you are sitting down, and some of you are going, I should sit down. Don't, take it at face value. If you don't know why they're sitting down, don't sit down. You shall not make idols. You shall not make idols. See, some of you Sunday school kids, I didn't get this far. In the, a lot more people were standing the first hour. You shall not murder. This is the honest group. <laughs> this is the honest group. So, so some of you are in your backyard with a piece of wood going, I'm making an idol. Chiseling it out of a piece of wood or stone. I shall not murder. Thank you for not sitting yet. Uh, I shall not commit adultery. Good, see, See, you shall not steal. I would have sat for this. Oh, oh, there it is. I I would have sat for that one. Okay, we're gonna get deeper into this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, teetering. Uh, have I ever? You shall not covet. So that's envy your other your neighbor's stuff. Oh, I'm getting down to it. You shall not take your. Oh, there it is. <laughs> If I would have got to, uh, you shall honor your mother and father, and all of you are still standing, I would have called you liars. Because at some level, none of us. Now see, some of you sat down because you know the Sunday school answers. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that if you hold anger in your heart, hatred for someone, you have committed a murder. If you have lusted for someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. So some of you did answer Sunday school answers and sat down, I get it, because and some of you sat down for the murder thing, and I know you didn't kill anybody, or at least we haven't found the bodies. <clears throat> But here's the deal. This was the gauge by which the Jews had to live a holy life. Now, they had this once a, day, once a year thing where the priest would go in, and it was the Day of Atonement. He would ask for forgiveness for all their sins, and they could start over, but they didn't make it through the year. <laughs> and that was over 600. You couldn't make it through 10. So the question is, how shall I inherit eternal life? Well, well it's not by that. And that's what we're going to hear in a couple minutes. As we dig into scripture. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. Verses 17 through 30. So we all sat. We all broke the rules. James 2.10 says if you broke one of the laws. You're guilty of breaking them all. Okay. So, so really there's this kind of hopelessness right now. <laughs> what did I do? How do I get there? And that's, that's the question at the heart of who we are. You see. <clears throat> for. For us, we're surrounded by people who are asking these questions. We're surrounded by people, ourselves included at some point, who are asking these questions of, okay, what do I do? And in Mark 10, verses uh, 17 through 30, you've probably already, Norm talked about it last week, you've probably already looked at the header, and, and depending on how your Bible says it, may say the, the young man so it may say the wealthy young man, the rich young man. It may say, probably doesn't say ruler. And This is one of those scriptures that's in three of the Gospels, so it's pretty important. You know, if we're to take scripture as God-breathed, then when we see it three times, we probably should listen. But some of you are already going, oh, I know this story. This is the rich young ruler. And some of you are going, I remember what was taught on that, and I remember the point. Uh, purge it from your brain. Because here's the deal. We in Christianity, and and I'm speaking as one who has done it as a leader and teacher, will sometimes agendize scripture and we will use it, we'll hunt and peck and grab things out just to prove a point. Jesus isn't that way. Jesus is, and, and this is where this scripture really shines. Jesus is showing that he's not only bringing a message, he's bringing a method. He's not only teaching something important, he's telling, he's showing us and modeling us how to do it. And what we do often when we look at these scriptures is we go straight to the place that, that most gravitate to. And here's the deal. I'm not going to discount what most of you think this, or have heard this scripture about. And I'll ask the question a little bit, what have you been taught? But I'm hoping and, and praying and asking, open your mind a little bit. In college, I call these Mountain Dew conversations. You know, they happen at like 1.30 in the morning. You shouldn't be having any conversations at this time. <laughs> but you end up asking questions that you never thought you would ask. Logan Muller was having one of these questions, one of these conversations, where's he at? Right before. He's like, well, do you see the same blue I see? If you were to take my eyes and put them in your head, would that be orange to you? And it's funny, he's having this conversation. That's a Mountain Dew 11.30, 1.30 in the morning conversation that I myself have had and was laughing. It happened right before we prayed. It was happening at, what was it, 8 something in the morning. So Logan's been up since 1.30 drinking Mountain Dew. Um, But kind of just put yourself in a new place. Like I asked you before, take yourself out of the Sunday school. Put yourself where this is happening. Remember, the context of of Scripture is in whole. It's not in just these chunks. So we're coming out of a place where Jesus just said, said to his disciples, who are kind of his core group, hey, stop keeping the kids from coming to me. Jesus never had a problem reprimanding people around him, even the people that were close. He would reprimand the religious leaders. He would call them out. We're coming into a place where Jesus is going to be teaching and, and, and coming out of this moment. But I think often we go to a place that Jesus doesn't necessarily say we have to go to. It, it works sometimes in the context so There's the point that oftentimes is taught out of this scripture is a point that makes sense. I get it. But there's more in here as we go deeper into it. So we're going to break it up. You guys are just going to kind of come along through one of my quiet times. Um, and and journey, the same journey I did as I kind of dug into this, I ask questions, I try to answer them. I'm okay when I can't. I think that you need to be okay when you go, I just don't know. Too often I think in our faith we're like, I gotta know everything. I'm not smart enough. I don't know because that person knew I should have known that. Don't do that to yourself. There's more here. So we'll get through a couple verses. We may get through a couple words before I stop us, but we'll keep going. So starting in verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do, and here's the question, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Except we're just going to pause right there. We're just going to kind of dig in. So your header, so my header says the rich young man. I don't know that he's young yet, and I don't know that he's rich And Jesus has already started teaching. I don't know anything about this dude, about his wealth or his age. What I do know is that he ran to Jesus and knelt down. There was urgency with this guy. I don't know about you, but I don't don't run to things unless there's urgency. And honestly, I don't run at all. I run away from scary things and to food. And that is about it. If you know me well enough, I hate running. Um, Always have. For those of you who run, God bless you. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) I don't get it. It's a whole other sermon. I'm going to try to figure something out there. But this man has a sense of urgency. We know nothing about him. Don't prejudge this man by the header. Because that's what we do. Because we've all heard the story at some point in our lives. And when we've heard this story in the past, this is the interactive part, when we've heard this story in the past, what's usually the main teaching of this story? We're all, two verses in, and I bet some of you already know. Someone yell it out. Main teaching of this story. What's that? Sell everything he has. So it's about wealth. It's usually about money. When you've heard the scripture, oftentimes it's basically to say, Money's bad. And, and here's the corruption that, that I will apologize for as a church leader. It's been used to get people to empty their pockets for church, too. Shame on them. See, the rich young man, we've heard the story. The rich young ruler, we've heard the story. It's usually about money. We know nothing about money yet. And Jesus has already started teaching by saying why do you call me good? God is only good. Him alone. Jesus is setting up the method right from verse, the second verse here. And some people have taken this and, and taken it even a step further and said, well, well, is Jesus saying that he's not good? It, I, it, it is biblical gymnastics to get to that point. Jesus never once said, don't call me good because I'm not good. He asked the question, why do you call me good? For God is only good. And and some have jumped to this place because, again, oftentimes there's a negative connotation with the rich young ruler that they automatically go, well, he said it because he was flattering Jesus to hopefully get an appropriate answer from him to condone an action that he was doing. I don't see any of that here yet. What I see is a man who's urgent, has a great question, and believes that Jesus is the answer. You see, in that time, this man, the reason he's called a ruler is because in the other scriptures we see that. He could have been the ruler of the synagogue. He could have been the ruler of the court. But what we do see is that more than likely he's a good Jew. And rabbis forbid their people to call them good. Good was only ascribed to divinity. It was only ascribed to God, Yahweh. So this man either was unaware of that rule, which is doubtful. We'll see that here in a second. Or he had some inkling that God was somehow sitting on this man in front of him. Probably didn't have an understanding. Or, and I will throw it out there, he is flattering Jesus. But we don't know that yet. And and it's our nature as humans to go to the negative. It always is. We always oil the squeaky wheel. It's just how we are wired. But Jesus doesn't go there. He sets out this incredible illustration that understand that good is nothing that you can understand or even attain. It's only for God. And he's going to continue, continue to lead us through that. So the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. I don't know about you, but this question, really at the heart of this question, are many of the questions of humanity. If you really dig deep, you know, it's a question of worth. (laughs) Am I worth this? Am I worth eternal life? At least we know that much about this man, that he believed that there was eternal life. That's another kind of clue of who he is. He knew that there had to be something, and, and that's kind of, for us, there's a question of purpose. There has to be something I'm working towards. There has to be a reason. Why am I here? We've heard those questions. In the question, he's also, is what's, what's bigger than this? To help me understand, is there something more than this life? We have friends. We probably were there. We're like, gosh, this, if this is it, holy cow. He's asking some deep questions just in one question. He's asking it. He's saying, hey, what's next? What do I do? Where do I go from here? And then Jesus continues in 19. You know the commandments. That's why I had you guys walk through them earlier. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And it goes on, and he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, and this is where we start going, oh, gosh, it's because he's rich. Jesus is kind of smacking him a little bit, going, oh, it's because you're rich. And that's where, you know, I think that out of all the commentaries I own, 99.999% of them go there. That this is, because of what happens next. We haven't even got to that about the camel and the needle. Whole Saturday Night Live skit was made on it. It's a well-known story. But that's not what happens here. Jesus Jesus does something different. He shakes things up. Is this man lacking understanding? Yes, he wouldn't have asked the question. But Jesus' response is so different than what we see when someone is coming in a deceitful manner. You see, some who say that he came and said good to Jesus because he was flattering him, hopefully getting something to condone, a bad behavior, some would say that this man um, really was deceitful because the, the word defraud is in this, this particular gospel. It's not in the other two. But what we see in Jesus is we see a response that is shocking. Anytime Jesus sensed, and he's, remember, he's God with skin on, when he knew people were trying to trick or deceive someone, he called them out. He sensed their thoughts. He heard their conversations. He called them broods of vipers. When Jesus sees something wrong, he calls it out. In almost every situation in scripture. Yet here, his response was, he loved him. Now, spent three years in the South. I don't think that Jesus is a bless your heart sort of guy. If you're not aware that usually when Bless Your Heart is used with you in the South, it's be, they're basically saying, oh, stupid person. I'm sorry. Okay? It's a secret. It's out. I got, I got, I got reprimanded after the second service that in some places it doesn't mean that. You know, but oftentimes it does. I don't believe that Jesus is that type of person. That's not the Jesus I follow. I follow a Jesus that looks down and says he loved him, and he loved him like a sinner like I am. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I'll put myself right there with him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He didn't call him out and say, hey, your, your agenda is becoming known to me. You shouldn't be doing this. He doesn't say any of that. He just looks at the guy and says... I love him. And then Jesus goes into this great picture of what this man, this particular man in this particular time needs to do. And this is where we find out he's wealthy. It's not until verse 22 that we find out that he had great possessions. This man had great possessions. Go get rid of him and come follow me. So the question that Jesus posed, the question that is put out there by Jesus when he says this, you lack one thing. What's the one thing? You see, Jesus is a master teacher. He tells incredible stories to get his points across here. And so he says, you lack one things, and and then he gives him a couple things to do. (laughs) Do you see that? Go get rid of your things and follow me. So one of those two things is the one thing probably need a roadmap now. You're going, where? What? But Jesus says, go get rid of your stuff and follow me. You see, for this particular man, I think his possessions was keeping him blind from the one thing. I think his possessions were the, were the things that were getting in his way of the one thing. Now, here's where the story takes a turn. You see, what we do is we, we keep the story going very quickly into the next section. But the story takes a turn here. The young man leaves. And what we often have been taught, or, and, and I'll be, I'm guilty of it, what has been taught has been that this man went away not willing to give up his possessions. Scripture doesn't say that, folks. Scripture says he went away disheartened for he had great possessions. The story, the teaching for this man is over. His part of the story is over. He leaves the picture. We have no clue what this man does. Zero. He may have went and gotten rid of all his stuff. The word disheartened here is basically saying that he was grieving and making the wrong choice. But I don't know about you, but it took me a couple tries to hear Jesus. And I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I grieved a little. Sitting on a rock in the middle of the Poconos, when I gave my life to the Lord and I said, I will surrender all this to you, I was surrendering a life that was a lot of fun. I was surrendering a life of really no consequences, parties, whatever, fill in the blank. I could do that. And sitting on that rock, I'm like, ugh. Oh, this is hard. But yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to surrender that to him. But here's the backstory: The year before I heard the same story, I asked the same questions, I got the same information, and I chose not to. I walked away a year before disheartened of giving away a life that I thought would be awesome. I, I heard it. I'm like, oh yeah, this Jesus thing, it does sound really good. But I walked away a year before and said, "No." Nope. So to automatically say that this man never, ever got rid of his possessions and that this man never, ever followed Jesus is a stretch. Jesus had thousands of followers. This man could have just blended in later. It also doesn't say that he did. I get that. But the story for this man is over. His teaching is done. So that means what we're going to read next is only for the disciples and his closest followers who are still around. Had nothing to do with the rich young man. 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly, so they go from amazed to exceedingly astonished. I'll explain in a second. And they said to him, then who can be saved? Another great question. You know why they asked that question? Because up until that point, the Jewish tradition was if you were rich, you were blessed. If you were rich and had wealth, that meant you were in God's presence. It was a sign of God's blessing. And so now they just Jesus, this is what He does. He takes everything and turns it upside down. And he said to them, "That's not it." That, that's not it. That's not the blessing here. Wealth is not important. Now he's speaking to a bunch of guys who would have considered them not themselves not wealthy. <laughs> They would have been guys who, you know, just salt of the earth, folks, dirty blue collar. Guys who who are now going, okay, so if this isn't the way to go, then what? Then how to be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With a man it is with man it is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has nothing to do with your works. You are not capable of saving yourself. You are not good enough. You can't do it. Up until that point, everybody was kind of going on this weird paradigm of, okay, they look blessed. Kind of like an M&M. They got a great candy coating. They must be going to eternal life. Well, that's not it. Well, it's obviously not keeping the rules. He just told the young guy that. Then what is it? Well, the two things he gave us, he gave us get rid of your stuff to the rich young ruler and follow me. The one thing in this it has nothing to do with how much money. It has no it has nothing to do with whether this man had four houses or two, and got rid of him. It wasn't a gauge on that. It was whether he was willing to follow Jesus. And see, we can kind of back this up when you take scripture as context. Lots of rich people were blessed by God. David, man after God's own heart. He had lots of stuff. Well, Sean, do we know he got to heaven? Okay, well, let's not use David. How about Moses? Moses by his culture standards was very wealthy. He didn't get to go into the Jordan, into the land of Canaan, the promised land, but he oversaw so much. By standards in his culture he was very wealthy. Well, he stand in the he stood in the presence of Jesus at the transfiguration. We could go back to Abraham. Abraham by his sta- standards and culture was very wealthy. We also know that he stood in the presence with Jesus. So if these things are true about wealth, then it can't be about wealth that gets into heaven. It can't be wealth that keeps you out of heaven. We know probably lots of poor people that that aren't walking with Jesus. So it isn't about giving up all your stuff. We probably know tons of generous people who give to things that we're like, that is so ungodly. I I don't think they're going to heaven. So the one thing in Jesus' message to the rich young ruler is follow me. Well, then he goes into this conversation with his disciples about their wealth because they don't think they have any. You see, Jesus is saying to all of us, you have to give up what you hold as valuable. You have to give up what you consider your riches and follow me. I had to give up a life that would have been a lot of fun. We see it on TV all the time, this ungodly life that would be tons of fun. Going after money, going after relationships, partying. For some of you who have lived that life and it came crashing down, you're going, no it isn't, Sean. And that's because it's painful to take through the eye of the needle. It's impossible to take what you, you personally hold valuable outside of God and get it through the eye of the needle. It's impossible for us to take the old life and somehow live the new life with it. God promises, through Christ, a brand new life, fresh, new. The old is gone. It doesn't go through the eye of the needle. This new one does. And to do it, you must follow me. So this message isn't just for those who don't know Jesus. It's for us, too, Folks, we are constantly putting value on things we shouldn't be putting value on. Get rid of it. It's holding you back. It's holding you back. We are called to be a people who go after the one thing, and that's Jesus. So, for the rich young ruler, it was his possessions. For us, it could be a multitude of things. It's not just about wealth equals blessing. It's about following Jesus. So, how does it finish? Peter began to say, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, that's wealth. No matter what your house is like, some people don't even have one. Who have left brother or sisters, those are relational riches. Mother and father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, even under persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. You see, folks, for us to be a people about other people, a people who are willing to go across the street and across the border we got to leave the baggage behind. And we've got to put ourselves in a place where we're asking the right questions to those around us, allowing them to have the space to ask questions too. We've got to be about surrendering all that we hold valuable, all that we hold valuable, and following him. What are you still holding on to? Because here's the deal. Once you realize what you're still holding on to, it's going to become real easy Real easy to make it a great example. Remember, there's method in here under Jesus' teaching to be able to say to something, this is what I got rid of as they're struggling with the same question. And you also have to put yourself in a place where you understand he will do the work of salvation because we can't. You don't save anybody. You see, the thing that holds us back from sharing our faith is this worry that we're gonna screw it up. I don't know enough. I can't talk about that. It's scary. (laughs) I know that's one for a lot of folks. Through him, all things are possible. Not just a few things. Not just a short list. (laughs) All things. When you're willing to surrender all that you have, realize that you cannot save anyone you've got the freedom to just go and be on journey with Jesus. I was trying to figure out how to finish this. You know, the folks, uh, the team's gonna come up. I'm gonna finish in worship. But I was trying to figure out how do I finish this message? It, that is one of the hardest things to do. You can sit in classes, which I have done, to learn how to teach and preach. and Oh, do it this way and do it that way. But sometimes I just want scripture to be Scripture. Honestly, I am convinced that if Scott, Len, or any of us who teach come up here and just read scripture and said, there you go. It would more than likely be better, more than likely, guaranteed it would be better than any commentary we can add. So I'm gonna leave you with this. Scripture here says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says one thing. Follow me. Let's pray. Father God, I give you this, this message, Lord. I pray that you um, would strike at our hearts that, that we would we get around what we've always heard and, and we would hear what you're teaching. And hear, your teaching wasn't just for some young guy who urgently wanted to get an answer to his question. But it was for us today. A reminder that The one thing in our life, the one thing that really holds meaning, the one thing that really holds value, the thing that goes above and beyond anything else we've ever possessed or will possess is following you. What is it in our lives that still need to be surrendered? Lord, I pray that you would would set that in our hearts today. Allow us to be a people who have surrendered all things, followed you, and now call others to follow you. Allow opportunities for those hard questions to be asked. Allow for opportunities for great stories to be written, your stories. Father, we give you that today in your dear son's name. Amen.